Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cows in the Field. This is Justin here. And uh, I'm just here to introduce the Minority Report re-release that you're about to hear. A uh, funny story about this episode is actually we recorded it twice. So the first time we did it, it just didn't feel right. There was something wrong. The energy was low. And so we sat down and did it again. And um, what you're about to hear is an episode that at least I'm pretty proud of. It's an early one, so it's a little rough around the edges, but it has some fun philosophical insights uh, that we get into. And I mean, we both really enjoy the movie. So hope you enjoy it. And we have some really good episodes coming up in 2023. Coming up next in two weeks, we'll be talking to John Gabris of High and Mighty and Action Boys about Christopher Nolan's Interstellar, which is a much requested episode and one we were very excited to do. And we can't wait for you to hear that. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy Minority Report from March of 2020. Because this uh, might be the, the inner chronicle of what we are. And we have to articulate ourselves. Otherwise, we would be cows in the field. Welcome to Cows in the Field. This is a movie podcast. I am Justin. I'm Laura. And today we're talking about Minority Report by Steven Spielberg. 2002. Yeah, so this is a movie which um which we both really like and we, we watched love this Yeah, movie. it's a fun movie and um uh yeah, let's I mean let's it's a Tom Cruise vehicle, right? Uh, yes. It's, it's Tom Cruise kind of peak cruise in some sense. Yeah. Although I guess he has many peaks in his career. Yeah, I don't know that you can I mean we don't have we could do a Tom Cruise podcast if you mm-hmm. want to do not um, he's looking at me like he doesn't want to do that but we did an entire summer of tom cruise yeah, we did two summer. summers ago yeah. summer of cruise i loved it justin burnt it was, out on it <laughs> it was fine <laughs> uh so tom cruise here stars john as john anderton uh he works for the pre-con- pre-crime unit of mm-hmm. the of the dc police um he's lives in a bachelor apartment he does a lot of drugs. He works real hard. Mm-hmm. And um, he has a lot of baggage. He does. Yeah. He has a little a little dead son. A little dead son that's haunting him. It's a little bit like uh, the dead wife in the Nolan movies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Colin Farrell is the second lead as Danny Whitwer, the Irish Catholic boxer i think of him question? as a boxer but, okay you know because he because he, he has that one he has he's a got one the boxing scene. scene he gets into the ring he knows how to he knows how to hold himself he knows how to throw a punch he knows how to throw a punch he's also got he's got the uh the the irish chain right he's got that that does cross. that make him a boxer i think of it kind of as goes <laughs> neither as, i associate it with with the kind of boxing culture okay got the more chain. officially he's the twink from the fed twink from the fed self-identified yeah uh, he's Samantha, here to cut. He's from the Justice Department, and he's here to sort of assess pre-crime. Pre-crime, yeah. He wants to. He wants to figure out what's going on with pre-crime because they're they might take it national. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll go national. They've had no crime in DC, or no uh, no murders, no murders, no murders. No okay, murders. wow. Well, yeah. Samantha Morton is Agatha, um, pre-crog who likes milk. She likes <laughs> to sit in a bath of milk, and she needs. <laughs> A watch. She's always asking, when is it? She's like, when is it? Is this now? <laughs> so that's Samantha Morton. She's great. Uh, she. This is funny because I think I always, I was always like, who is this person? You know? 
Mm-hmm. And then we saw like, you know, Samantha Morton's in lots of other movies. And we recently saw um, Morvern Kalar. And, um, Which I think is this year. I think it's this year. Really? I think it's 2002 as well. Okay, fascinating. Really? Oh, my God. Maybe I'm wrong That's crazy. That. Okay, well, I'll look that up. But that's okay. really interesting. Um, yeah, so that's Samantha Morton. Who's next? Max von Sydow. He plays Lamar Burgess. He's the director of Free Crime, and he's like so obviously the bad guy. <laughs> um, not just because he's got like a Swedish accent that sounds very foreboding, but you know, it always these movies it always goes all the way to the top. It always goes all the way. I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe in, in two thousand two, people were like, maybe it's it could no, be anyone. And, no, and from now it's we're like, like, it's obviously he's the bad guy. L.A. Confidential. Every movie, it's always the sort of elder statesman white guy. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are the, I mean, I would really think those are the main characters. That's it. Right? There's like a bunch of other s- small characters. Um, and, but that's, those are the main people. And, mm-hmm. you know, what's, what happens in this movie, right? So this is a movie set in the near future, the year 2054, I yep. believe. Yep. And everything's looking really good. It's no murder. Driverless cars, eye scanning, facial detection, <laughs> and you've got what's at the core of it all: pre-crime. Pre-crime. Nobody can be, um, nobody can commit a murder because it's foreseen by these three mutant humans who live in a pool of milk, and then they scan their brains. They have some sort of brain scanner on them that like checks to make sure. It, it sort of like takes them image from their mind and puts it on it a screen. It projects it on a screen, right? And then and they records f- it. Records it, and then they figure out who it is. They're like, okay, is this guy with the candlestick in the drawing room? <laughs> and then they they go to his house, and this wonderful like opening scene, which sort of explains everything, you know, like gives you a, gives you a flavor of the, mm-hmm. how the pre crime unit works. And they stop the guy from killing his wife. And it's and you're like, man, this is really cool. And but of course, nothing is ever perfect. And guess who shows up? Danny Whitworth. He's from the Justice Department. He wants to make sure this is legit. He starts asking a lot of questions. Asking questions. He's, He's asking for too flaws. many questions. He's looking for flaws. The flaw is always human, right? Mm-hmm. But Tom Cruise is not a guy that did, you know. He's a guy who's got the confidence to answer questions like he's this. He's a true believer. He's a true believer. He does the ball thing where he rolls the ball down the thing and Whitworth grabs it and he's like, you know, you knew it was going to fall. So you're a precog too. And it works. And so then um, he's sniffing around and what happens? How does he, what, what happens next? I can't remember. Agatha, I can't remember why John Anderson ends up in the temple, but he's in the temple with oh, wait, the precogs. No. He goes in to show Whitworth. Yeah, right? maybe he he's takes just, him in. He's, he's like, lingering right. afterwards. Yeah. But Agatha grabs him and says, "Can you see?" and shows him an old murder. Just her, not the other precogs. The the caretaker, um, who Wally, the caretaker who who tends to the precogs, was like, "No, that's not possible." And, you know, she she wouldn't show you that. Um, but he sees he sees a woman drowning. And he starts to ask questions. He goes to the to this wacko prison where they keep all of the all of the people that have been uh, haloed um, because of the crimes that they were going to commit imminently uh, and starts uh, tries to look to see some of the footage, uh, some of the, the precog visions from this from this 
drowning and finds that there's some missing information. I think that's what the sets all this all this in motion. Yeah, because he asks some questions. He asks Lamar, which is the wrong guy to ask, and Lamar decides to frame him. Um, yeah. So then the next thing we get is that uh, the next pre-crime prediction is John Anderton, that is Tom Cruise killing Leo Crow. And that sets in motion the rest of the movie. And now Anderton's trying to figure out what's going on. And eventually he figures it all out. He does kill Crow. He's, he sort of escapes. They capture him. He's haloed. But in a kind of magical, almost unreal last act, last 20 minutes coda, mm-hmm. he escapes from the prison, reveals the truth of Lamar Burgess. And saves the day pre-crime shutdown. So it's a real... Like everything just goes back to normal, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. And uh, he has to do a lot of crazy things along the way. He has to take out his eyeballs. He does remove his eyes. That's true. In, in one of the best scenes. Um, and... He's committed. Well, he's got to clear his name. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's Very the thing. Very important. Like, I... You know, I was sort of thinking about like why it is that he goes to try to clear his name as mm-hmm. opposed to go into hiding. And, to, you know, to a certain extent, he's fighting against himself because, as you point out, he's a true believer in pre crime. So, you know, if he clears his name, then that will show like it's the very dilemma that Lamar faces at the end, where if he clears his name, that shows pre crime doesn't work. Right. Um, so he, he in a way has to go through with it to like save his his what he cherishes as mm-hmm. his career. Right. Um, and, you know, we learn why Anderton cares so much about this. It's because he cares uh, to he wants to prevent anyone else from ever having to lose a loved one because he himself, we learn, has lost his son. He he was at a pool with his son and the son's kidnapped and presumed dead. And, you know, he blames himself. He's, he feels, you know, immense guilt for this. Yeah. And, and it's um, like it causes separation with his wife. His wife is, is still around, but they're not together anymore. And this has caused a, a rift between Yeah, them. they've got the rift. And, and um, you know, so he, he is in a situation where he, um, he thinks maybe by preventing another murder or every other murder, he can, uh, he can sort of rest safe and sound yeah. at the end of the day. But... But as we, you know, of course, he's he's running from his past as much as he's running from his future, and um, you know he's put in this dilemma where he he really can't avoid doing what he has to do in some sense, and um, you know the the precog is vindicated to a certain extent, and then you know he has to ultimately fight against the pre crime unit. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking like you know if you were accused of this crime and you knew exactly how you were going to do it, it'd be very easy to not do it. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of because he's trying to prove his innocence too much that he runs head for head first into doing that, the very crime he's predicted to to do. And so I do find that interesting that, um, you know, in a way he, he sort of is his own worst enemy. Um, it's fun watching him run around and, Jump on driverless cars. He does and so much running. Everybody runs. That's what he says. Everyone runs. Everyone That's runs. running is a is a central theme of the movie. Absolutely. Um. So one of the things that you know it's fun to think about with this movie is that the the future is really interesting, right? 
the future is something where there's a lot of driverless cars. They're kind of going up buildings, up and down buildings. There's retina This scans. is your dream, we should say. You are obsessed with driverless cars. Well, you know, I think I think in the end, my my ultimate dream, I'm going to come clean on this one. My ultimate dream is VR plug-in. My ultimate dream really is everyone lives like the precogs live. <laughs> You're in a milk bath. It's warm. <laughs> you have all your nutrients provided for you. You're psychotic. And you're just, you just, and you just VR everyone else. It's like you're <laughs> in a virtual world completely. Or here's another way to put it. My dream is to be haloed and then live in my little halo sack, right? In the, in the prison. That's what, I, that's my ultimate dream. So right. Prison halo sack. Cool. Now, um, Second best is <laughs> if we have to leave the house, yeah. then I pick driverless cars over non-driverless cars because mm -hmm. at least driverless cars, not going to get in accidents as much, also can get work done in the driverless car, mm. can do other, you know, can do other things. I'm not no distracted driving. I could just be watching Minority Report in my driverless car. Right. Um, the other thing I like about it is the driverless car drops you at your door. There's no like, ah, oh, dropped you at the garage and you got to walk in. No, right in the door. Yep. It just opens up that into, the, cool. into the living room. You just walk right in, right to the uh, Chinese food that you've strewn throughout your apartment. Mm. And, um, his, and his just, apartment is grody. Yeah. Um, and then you just pop in the um, the old VHS tape of your dead son. <laughs> Tough no times. delay no delays just go straight in for it right you don't gotta go through the garage in the mudroom you just can't go tell justin's in. really interested in efficiency this yeah is, this is what this is about the driverless cars are super cool do you you agree on this one you're no i don't cool I, I don't cars. trust them i like i said my iphone like barely functions i'm not getting in a car that's like run by a computer that's madness um i would definitely like to just I feel strongly about human error over over computer I error. I see. So you take, but what if you? Or I see. So, but what if the error rate was but I, lower? But I meant visually, they're cool in this but, movie. Yeah, but what if the error rate was lower, but it was just not done by a human? Then you're cool. Then you wouldn't be cool with it. Wait, say that. So I'm thinking like, so suppose suppose humans, the rate of human error is is is, is higher than the rate of computer error. Yeah, which is probably true, but I feel like the computer error is more disastrous. Oh, I see. So well, I see. I thought you were saying like that the, that you would still take human error over computer error, even if there was a lower rate of computer error, just because you like prefer it done by a human. Yes, that's what that's I'm saying. That's great. I don't. That <laughs> seems crazy to me. I go. I go. I'd say just take the lower error rate. Anyway, all right. So, because at least you can like you can look the human in the eye and go tisk tisk. Is that like what is it? No, I just don't trust computers. Yeah, but if the error rate is lower, then you should trust them. Yeah, but. I mean, are we talking quantity of error rate? Or are we talking because if they make one giant crazy error, you know, I'm just saying. I see. So what if they take over like, all of our cars and just like suck us into abyss? I, I don't know. I don't trust it. Okay. We're getting off on a tangent. Yeah, but I think driverless cars. I mean, again, <laughs> number one option is milk bath. We all live in a milk bath. And then number two option is if we, you know, driverless cars. Number okay. three option is what we currently have. Yeah. Which is worst. Yeah, no, I think the actual the worst too, especially in Massachusetts, is like roundabout situation where you have to like have a PhD <laughs> in psychology to understand what the fuck the other driver is thinking. Yeah, it's like no, it's like a game theory where you're yeah. like, all right, here we go. Like you got to find the Nash equilibrium for when you're gonna jump in the. the like, the am roundabout. I dealing with a psychopath? Am I dealing with somebody who's overly cautious? Like, 
can I go and like you know what I mean when yeah. you're, you're trying to and calculate throw, not just their velocity but like what their brain state yeah, is. Yeah, and then you got to throw in like a couple pedestrians who are like looking really unsure about whether they should cross. And, and as they're you like slow probably down, students. They think, because, yeah, they think like you're thinking that they're yeah. you're going to slow down for them, but yeah. you're not. You're slowing down to, to merge. Into it's a the, nightmare. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah, so I driverless cars, right? Come on. <laughs> no human error at all. Driverless I don't know about this. Straight up. But I do think that sex decks are cool. Okay, that's one you like. Okay. Yeah, no, I like the weapons a lot in this movie. It, there are firearms. I mean, there's like two prominent guns in this movie. John that's Anderton. True, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the gun that Lamar Burgess is gifted, like the Civil War gun that right. he then kills himself with. Right. Um, but so they definitely do have firearms, but it seems like they're not very used very often because they've got these six sticks and they have the like sonic boom guns yeah. that kind of just make people fly backwards. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, though the sonic boom gun, I know there's it's supposed to be like less dangerous, but like if you sonic boom someone off a cliff, like it's much more dangerous. Well, than don't a gun. use them near cliffs. Well, I mean, same thing. If you sonic boom them like into a wall, <laughs> that could cause some serious I'm just, lasting I thought damage. they were cool. They I like the cool. six sticks a lot. I like when they say six stick, get your six sticks ready. I, okay, everybody. I, have a, I have a question about the six stick, actually. Yeah. So, okay. So you would think an efficient six stick wouldn't just make you like vomit immediately. Projectile yeah. vomit. Yeah, because because of course if you if you just do that, then you're like usually right after you throw up, you're like ready to go, right? You feel <laughs> fine. You're like, okay, now I'm gonna keep chasing you. What a six stick should do, you would think, is make you feel like you're gonna be sick, like just like feel nauseated, right? Mm -hmm. That would like throw you down. Mm -hmm. But here's what I wonder. I wonder if what the six stick is doing is if you like hit someone in the in in like the the belly with the six stick, mm -hmm. they would feel that nausea. The problem is that he hit him right in the neck and it oh. like was too close to his head or something. So and it just like or his esophagus. Or his, like yeah, that, exactly. It just like jazzed him up too much. I see. So you so, don't think the six sticks usually always make projectile vomit. Yeah, that's my hypothesis. Okay. That's my hypothesis. So <laughs> It's very fast though because you're like, ooh, six sticks, what do they do? And then pretty quickly yeah. somebody gets stuck in the neck and you're like, okay. I mean, the other thing is that <laughs> visually it doesn't make any sense for the six stick in a, in a movie to just be like, ooh, I'm feeling mm, queasy. Yeah, that's might, not as like compelling. Tums. Yeah, that's not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, g g g put put an order for some uh, antacids and uh, Pepto, please. And then I'll get on Chase and Natterton. Yeah, that would not be fun. So no. just having the guy vomit is more fun, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I will say one thing about the 3D TV, because I, I know that's something we, I don't know, we were both looking at it. It's like, yeah, 3D TV, kind of interesting. No 3D glasses. That's mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. But the quality is real low. That's like lower than 720p quality, right? That's like 480. His max. home videos. His home means? video. They're garbage, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think also they're meant to perhaps be a little bit degraded. Like he's watched them so much yeah, that was, they're starting to. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you wouldn't want that like either a, in the future. But it's like a it's like a flash drive or something. It doesn't degrade. You know, it's not like it's not like uh um yeah it's not like like a tape that like you only. It only can play so many times before it runs out. Right. Yeah. That's how I interpret it. Yeah. I mean, I, my guess is that they Spielberg needed to have some way of differentiating real, like what was real from what was the 3D video. Mm -hmm. And like, if it looked too good, we would just be like, oh, his son is back from the dead or something, yeah. right? We would be confused. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, yeah, he yeah. needed to make it really low quality to like yeah. remind you, because also this movie we should have mentioned the quality of the movie is low in the sense that the look of the movie in the sense uh -huh. that and not yeah the look in the sense that because they shot it on super 35 high speed so it's super grainy it's like massive amounts of grain um 
and then they blew it out in the bleach bypass. Yep. Right. So this this sort of like super high contrast. Everything's overexposed. Yeah, everybody sort of has has halos. <laughs> yeah. In fact. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's kind of glowing at the edges. Yeah, and it's and it's washed out, so mm-hmm. it's like looks kind of grungy. Mm-hmm. And and so if 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 the if you had no way of differentiating the video from from that from the grainy film, right, you, it might be hard. So yeah. I, it could have just been like, so give he's it a like, pass. Yeah, I for for filmic reasons we need to have this, or else the audience will be confused. Yeah. But still, I'm thinking. If my future 3D TV isn't 4K, I don't want the future. I, for, if it's not for, it's 4K or bust as far as I'm yeah. concerned for 3D yeah. TV. Um, when's the last time you watched a DVD and what was your reaction to it? Yeah, so this is a good story. So um, we <laughs> we watched the last time. No, actually, but the last time we actually was, was remember, we had to watch. We had to watch Valley, Valley Girl. Girl. Because the only way we could get Valley Girl was on DVD. We okay. had to buy the DVD and watch it. Okay, but before this, that you was swore for off the Nick Cage DVDs for forever. And yeah, ever. I'm, amen. Yeah, I swore them off because uh, we watched Godfather, and I had the Godfather box set from my parents, which was just a DVD set, and we watched it, and it was garbage. It looks like garbage. Justin was throwing our DVDs out the window. He's like, "I'm never, I'm never doing this again." Yeah, it was absolutely like a horrible experience because that's a three-hour <laughs> movie. So just imagine having a horrible, and you can't stop because you're with friends. Right? And you can't. Yeah. Just be if like, it were just with me, we would have oh, stopped. We, we would have stopped and like gone to Walmart or something to buy the DVD, the Blu-rays. But so, so, so we had to keep watching. I couldn't just be like tapping out and be like, yeah. "No, no, 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 no." And it's three hours long. Yeah. And, and th- here's why it You're sucks. Here's why it really sucks. So it's shot by um, what is it? Um, uh, the shit. Uh, the Prince of the Prince of Darkness. What's his name? Uh, anyway, whatever. The cinematographer um, Gordon. Is it Gordon Herschel? Okay, whatever. <laughs> and oh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, and so everything is cast in shadows. It's all these darks with like the chiaroscuro lighting. With like everything is super like you know, framed around shadows and darkness. Now, just imagine in DVD compression, the shadows are the things that gets crunched the most because because the way they think of it is they're like, well, I'm trying to preserve detail in the highlights, so I'll kill the shadow detail and it won't matter. Well, then every shadow you see is just a bunch of blocks. It's just a bunch of like little blocks, artifacts that are just like fritzing in and out. And now you're talking about a movie where 80% of the frame is shadow in like a lot of these shots. So you're just looking at a bunch of like Lego blocks. I'm like, this, this sucks. This sucks. This is supposed to be one of the best movies ever. We're just sitting here watching like Lego Godfather version. I'm just like, I why would I do this to myself? And yet I did it. And so then after that, I vowed I will never, ever, unless I have to, yeah, have to in the sense that like there's literally no other way to watch the movie. Right. Watch another DVD. Yeah. And so this is all to say. Future TVs better be 4K. They better be better be eight times the time, the quality of HD. <laughs> right? Yeah. Ten times well, the quality of HD. Yeah, in no, you don't really need it. There's a certain point where pixel count doesn't really matter. And, and you know, you want something more like bit depth or whatever. But okay. like. Whatever, but, but, Justin. But what are you even saying? 4K is probably good enough. Okay. Okay. But 3D and 360 VR maybe. Maybe then you want to go a little higher. But I feel like you're just speaking Latin at this point. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about quality of video. Okay. <laughs> and this is how this is I'm just saying, you know, like I think Spielberg, Spielberg was probably didn't didn't have a good home theater at the time. So he was like, Yeah, this probably looks fine. 
But now looking back, I'm like, this, no. <laughs> are you trying to say no. your home theater is better than than whatever Spielberg had going on in, in 2002? 2002? Yes, totally. I think 100 percent because he, he probably didn't. There weren't Blu-rays back then. I'm pretty sure there no. were just DVDs so the, or Laserdisc. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, so, you know, best he's got is Laserdisc rocking on a 480 screen. Right. He, I don't think there's any projector that's that's pumping even 720. Right, definitely not 1080 on that. So mine's better. It's just it's totally better. And we got now we have local dimming and everything. Granted, we don't have an OLED TV, but if you had OLED, it would be even that much better. So now everybody's gonna know we don't have an OLED TV. I know it's embarrassing. This is so embarrassing. (laughs) I chose not to. I chose for bigger over OLED. It's (laughs) just one of those things. Oh my god. Um, Okay, back to the future. Justin was talking about the physical media. The the like the. John Anderton looks at these home videos via little slides and we were, you know, that doesn't seem right. We don't use anything physically that, I mean, we have Blu-rays, but in the future, I imagine everything's just going to be, there's no reason to have cloud. Yeah. I mean, the only people who are going to have physical media in the future, my prediction is like people who are distrustful of streaming media. Like me. You know, it's going to be like, you are going to be, you're going to be such an old person when you grow up. You're going to be like all like, like, uh, like our our child's generation is just going to be like, why would you ever have anything physical? You just stream it. You just like license the content per, per page, right? Like you pay like a dime a page per book, right? And like you watch per minute and shit like that. Mm -hmm. And like, we are sitting here like, no, 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 no. But I bought the whole book and then I could read it anytime I want. It's going to be like. That's so lame. Why would you do that? That's so dumb. Does it make any sense? Yeah. Anyway. I look forward to those conversations. Yeah, that's And I'm like happen. hoarding all my books. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so that, you know, I, I think I don't think that quite gets it right. Although for the same reasons as you point out about the the quality of the of the look of the home videos, I think it's it's more cinematic. It looks better for him to pick up a physical thing that has a label that says, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like, that's right memories of sean (laughs) than him clicking around in a computer to to start streaming something the other thing i was thinking about are the newspapers there's a scene where um john anderton gets on the subway which is already dangerous because everywhere you go your retinas get scanned so um you know he's getting scanned as soon as he's in the subway and then there are a bunch of it's a really crowded subway car and everybody's got their newspapers and the newspapers the headlines like flash and change and they say like you know he's on the lamb and there's a picture of tom cruise which is just like uh harry potter the that's how the newspapers work too the moving images and mm-hmm. it's sort of magical paper or right of me of of magical parchment yeah uh, and harry like, potter yeah uh which you know we do get the news that way you know uh, if there yeah. was breaking news it would be like that except for everybody would be on their phones yeah you know yeah. but but you know i mean i think that's it's getting it most mostly right in yeah. that regard yeah, yeah it's like a twitter sort of it's a twitter feed that's updating right i exactly. like that that's it's good. just that there's there's no way anybody's gonna be holding a physical newspaper in 2054 well unless it's the e-ink updating constantly kind of newspaper yeah because that's what they're thinking maybe right like maybe there's some thought that there's gonna be like but that would still like be a, a kind tablet of, right or no, no but that it's like that it's like paper like and you have you own a e-ink paper yeah, yeah, one yeah, yeah, physical yeah, paper yeah. that just like updates every yeah. like constantly yeah yeah that's cool be kind of neat right maybe i'd like that i like to hold things in my hand yeah you such an old person <laughs> <laughs> tactile i don't understand just manipulate it with your mind <laughs> just bring it in just give me the vr goggles and like teach my mind to manipulate the objects in vr space i don't need fingers fingers are overused over uh, sorry overrated yeah advertising did we talk about that already i don't know um 
But yeah, they but have ads. They have ads in the future. Yeah, no, well, <laughs> they are ads in the future. No, but I thought that Sad was like one of say. the most prescient parts of it. Uh, is the that targeted ads. the targeted ads? Yeah, yeah, the targeted ads that follow you around because yeah. it's part of this retinal scan situation where everywhere you go, if you walk into a mall, um, if you walk into a store, they'll be like, "Hi, John Anderton, how are those khakis working out for you?" Yeah. Um, but you're you know you're walking down corridors in the subway, you're walking in any public space, your eyes are getting scanned. And you're getting targeted ads right to you. And that feels exactly like my experience on the internet. Yeah. Every time I'm on Facebook, you know, if I like went, if I like was thinking about buying something in J Crew, and then I put it in the cart and then I was like, Laura, you don't need that. And then I closed the window. Two seconds later, Facebook's like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> don't I mean, leave now. But here's the question. Yeah. I mean, would you prefer ads like that or do you prefer like, you know, when you at one point we watched the, the local news. Mm-hmm. When you're watching the local news, they think you're 68 years old. Yeah. And so which we've getting, already established I am in my soul. Well, but, but I don't you don't ail from the ailments that are plaguing <laughs> many 68-year-olds and it's all like targeted ads about like prescription drugs. They're yeah. like, "Do you have trouble maintaining an erection?" <laughs> Do you have rheumatoid arthritis? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like autoimmune diseases, uh, ED, and Chantix. Yeah, and Chantix and quitting smoking. Yeah, so yeah. it's like I would personally prefer the ad to just be like, hey, uh, I know you like this stuff. Yeah, and, no, I, I do like and- – I do appreciate that it's that it's quite targeted. I do appreciate seeing things that I would like, might like. It's just the feeling of being followed around, realizing that you're that you've got such a clear footprint oh, on the internet yeah, that yeah. feels a little icky. Yeah. It's like the um it's like Sting always said. What? Every step you take, every <laughs> breath you take, I'll be watching you, right? I was not picking up that joke at Sorry, first. That's like, a, what a quick sting drop there. About? Quick sting drop. Um <laughs> Well, on that on that note, I think maybe maybe what we should do now is is take a little detour into Justin's philosophy corner. Yes, do a little philosophy. Please, this is a this is a um a movie where their philosophy is kind of front and center, right? Mm-hmm. It's a movie that um involves some deep philosophical issues. Um, and I think like flirts with them and doesn't really grapple with them. Well, they're they're woven into the fabric of yes. the plot yeah. in a way that often isn't for movies, and um. And I think that it, I think it's worth actually just trying to tease apart what is going on because I think the way the movie sells itself is actually I think confused. But I do think there's something really interesting happening. So so here's the here's what I, here's how I think it's how how I think the movie sort of sets itself up and why I think that's wrong and then why what I think mm-hmm. is really going on. So so the the precogs are set up to to, to apparently know the future, right? They ostensibly see the future. They know what's going to happen. They communicate that to us. But we, with that information, that is the pre-crime people, can use that information to change the future, thus changing what it is that they know. But I think that is a problem. So that's already an inconsistency. So, So suppose, in fact, that you change the future. Well, then the precogs never knew the thing they knew, right? Mm-hmm. So suppose, to, to, to use a silly example that doesn't involve murder, suppose the precogs know that you're going to choose vanilla ice cream. Okay. So then they tell you this. They say, hey, you're gonna, when the choice is given to you, you're going to choose vanilla. And then you go, aha, well, now that I know this, I'm going to thwart you. And when the choice comes, I'm going to choose chocolate because I can choose whatever I want. And then you choose chocolate. Well, then it's true that you'll both choose vanilla 
and you you will choose chocolate. That's a contradiction. You can't right. You can't choose vanilla and not choose vanilla. Right. And so I think that way of thinking about it, which the movie sometimes says, like this is you know explicitly says, like this is what's gonna what's gonna happen. Like Cruz says, the precogs don't see what you intend to do; they see what you will do. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, they stop the person from doing that. So then the person doesn't do that. Okay. So so okay. So that I think way of interpreting it is not doesn't even make sense it's it's incoherent mm. what is the precog's power i think they have some power presumably what is it so here's the way i think of it so what the precogs see is what would happen if nobody intervenes to to stop it okay so that's more like the ball thought experiment that anderton gives to uh to to Whitworth. The commission of the crime itself is absolute metaphysics. The precogs see the future, and they're never wrong. But it's not the future if you stop it. Isn't that a fundamental paradox? Yes, it is. You're talking about predetermination, which happens all the time. Why'd you catch that? Because it was going to fall. You're certain? Yeah. But it didn't fall. You caught it. The fact that you prevent it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. You ever get any false positives? Someone intends to kill his boss or his wife, but they never go through with it. How do the precogs tell the difference? Precogs want to see what you intend to do. Only what you will do. So in this ball experiment, what Whitmer knows is that the ball would have fallen had he not intervened. Okay. So in that sense, the precogs don't know the future. They don't know the actual future. Indeed, they, what they see is not the actual future, so they don't know it. But what they do know is something different. They know how things would have been had the pre-crime police not used the information that they gave them to prevent that thing. Okay, so I think that way of thinking about it, you can make sense of. But now the movie adds an interesting twist. So the movie presupposes that human beings possess a kind of free will. It's what I mean by free will here is that human beings often act freely in the following sense that nothing causally determines how they will choose when they choose. So the idea is you come up to a point and then you face a choice and then you just choose one mm-hmm. way or the other. Nothing determines that you're going to go to the left or to the right. You just choose and you make it the case. Okay. So that's the kind of free will that is posited in this movie. Um, But now notice what happens. So now suppose the precogs foresee that if you're given the choice between vanilla or chocolate, um, you'll choose vanilla ice cream. Okay. But then I know this. They tell me. They're like, okay, Laura's going to go vanilla. It's a totally free choice on her part, but she's going vanilla. So then I know this. And so then I'm like, well, I really want the vanilla. So I'm not going to offer you that choice. I'm just going to give you cake. So I give you the cake. Would you eat the cake? I don't like cake. Sorry. Continue. Damn it. Well, I (laughs) give you cookies. Okay. Okay. So I give you these cookies. Yeah. Right. And and then you're like, okay, cool. You know, you're munching away on your cookies. Mm -hmm. I get my vanilla ice cream. Now. Of course, the precogs are by stipulation right that had you been offered the choice, I would have gone you would have gone vanilla. Right. But it was a totally free choice on your part. Okay. 
So this is really interesting. This is really interesting power, right? They have the ability to know how you would freely act, mm -hmm. even though you're not given the opportunity to act, make that choice. So that's a little bit like this. I have a fair coin. Totally fair. It's a chancy result, whether if you flip the coin, it lands heads or lands tails. Now, if I never flip the coin, okay, suppose I never flip the coin at all, still the precogs can know if Justin had flipped the coin, it would have landed heads. They can know that fact, even though there's nothing about the world that would ever determine it to land heads or tails, except for the flip, and the flip never happens. They could still know how it would have landed. Okay, that's the kind of knowledge that they have. We're like the coin, right? We are like, the, our choosing is like the coin. Okay, so what's interesting to me is that this is sometimes called, um, in, the, in the history of philosophy, has been called middle knowledge. And this was an issue in the medieval philosophy uh, era, and it was hotly debated whether God had middle knowledge. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in that he, whether he had knowledge about what free creatures would do in various circumstances. Now, on the one hand, some people thought, yes, it's obvious God has middle knowledge because God's omniscient. He knows everything. So he knows how you would freely choose if you were put in various circumstances. Mm. He knows you would freely choose vanilla, say. But on the other hand, some people said, well, maybe God knows all the facts. And when you have free will, there just aren't facts about how you would have chosen if you were put in various circumstances that you are not in fact in. So then there would be no fact for God to be ignorant of, and thus God's omniscience is compatible with him not knowing how you would freely choose. Mm. Okay, so because there's just nothing there to know. There's right. no fact for God to know. Now, the reason this mattered to medieval philosophers, I mean, of course, some of these things they just debated for the sake of it, but this one mattered quite deeply to them was because of the problem of evil. Now, the problem of evil is basically this. It seems that the existence of evil is incompatible with the existence of God, traditionally understood. So here's why. If God knows there's evil, he can prevent it. Why? Because he's omniscient. So if there's evil, he knows it. And he can prevent it because he's all-powerful. Right. He can do anything he wants. And furthermore, he would prevent it. If he knew it and could, he would do it. Why? Because he's all good. He doesn't want there to be evil in the world. So then the question is, well, why is there evil? Okay. And then one answer is that the evil that we see is the result of free choices of human beings. And free will is a good that outweighs the potential evil that might come by it. So God sort of creates free creatures. And knowing that it's a lamentable side effect of his doing that, that some of them will act evil, mm -hmm. right? Okay, so that's that's the sort of that's the response. Like, why is why is there evil? Well, it's the result of free will, and free will is a good thing, and that's why God let us do this. We should be better, not God should be better. We're the ones who're screwing up. Okay, right. but then the problem is this: if God has middle knowledge about how free creatures would act if put in various circumstances then it seems God could just create those creatures which would freely choose to do good mm. in every circumstance in which it's they're tricky. put, right? And so then, so now the problem's back because now it looks like God should have just chosen, why did he create us who are freely choosing some bad times? He should, we should, he should be creating some creatures who are only creatures who are freely going to choose good. And he knows which of them there are. All right. So that's why this is an interesting issue. And it's a, it's a classic issue in the, in, in, 
um, in medieval philosophy and the metaphysics and philosophy of religion. And um, I think it's really cool that this movie, in a way, is touching on these on this issue that is like a, it's one that's been with us for you know thousands of years. And um, and you know, of course, it's it's approaching it from a modern perspective, a sci-fi perspective. But um, but I think that is lurking in the background. And I just thought that was a really fun sort of aspect of the of this movie, at least yeah. for me, because as a philosopher. Yeah, no, it's super fun. I think this is why this movie is a cut above so many other sci-fi movies. Definitely. Um, and why maybe one of the many reasons we come back to it as much as we do. I think that's right. I mean, I think it's also really well made, right? Of and course, so, it's a Spielberg movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we, you know, we should also say, um, you know, this is based on a Philip K. Dick novel, like mm-hmm. like many of the sci-fi classics in the recent years. Um, and, um, and you know, a lot of these ideas go back to, to Philip K. Dick. Um, and... Um, uh, but the pre-crime aspect of it, I think, is is such a huge key part of why this movie is so rewatchable and so fun because i think there's something so tantalizing about the idea of pre-crime um and watching him do it in the very first scene is is like magical it's really fun beautiful and and they're playing classical music and he's sort of almost conducting and yeah the schubert unfinished symphony yep it's great and you know you watch somebody a man contemplate and on the verge of killing his wife uh, for for um, infidelity and they stop it and you're just mm-hmm. like this is this is great yeah this is I would love to have this and then the more you see of it the more unsettling it becomes and you know especially because I didn't quite think twice about it in the moment because I didn't know the first time I saw it, I didn't know what a halo was but in that scene the very first scene where you see the guy he raises his pair of scissors to kill his wife he gets tackled by John Anderton people SWAT teams like come in from the ceiling and they halo him right there, which basically they imprison him. They make him brain dead, like right there. No judge, no jury. That's it. And that's really unsettling. So I think that tension right. is is what makes this movie so interesting. Um, and certainly within that tension, um, this this middle knowledge question, too, of how does it all work? Yeah. How does this work? Right. <laughs> could could there even be such knowledge at all? Right. And right. I think that's what's really interesting. And and you know, to me, as someone who 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 works on conditionals, you know, I'm I'm really interested in this question of like whether there even could be this kind of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, I do fall on the side of thinking that that there can't be, and and that so so for me, this movie is um, not just science fiction; it's science impossibility <laughs> in the sense that it's not just like it would be interesting if things were this way. It's like, they cannot be this way. Right. Which I think is kind of cool. Like that, that like, you know, what we're seeing is a depiction of something that is actually impossible Mm -hmm. for me. Right. It's not just like a debate about whether or not we're going to have e-paper. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. 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 (laughs) Anyway, but that's a discussion for another time. Um, We, we, we also want to talk a little bit about some of the themes of the movie. And I think, you know, we had a number of different ideas on that. Um, and um, but I think the one that I'm most interested in was the one you were thinking about, about the vision. Stuff. Oh, yeah. OK, sure. We can start there. Um, so there's a lot of eye stuff yeah. in this movie, which I was noticing uh, this time around. I mean, obviously, he gets his eyeballs removed. So there's a lot of eye stuff in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and but, yeah, uh, that's right. We were talking about how yes. they, they surveil them with the through the eyes. They're yes. tracking everyone through the eyes. They're they're targeting them with ads through their eyes, through retinal scans and stuff. And um and and then there's this quote from that the that the um the drug dealer. The, yeah, the drug dealer guy who has literally no eyes. Yeah, right? his he's, eyes have been removed. He's probably removed them. 
He's probably removed that because that's what people do when they're bad people is that they get rid of their eyeballs so yep. that they can to no longer be tracked. Yep. Um, and he says, um, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Right, which is actually a quote from Erasmus who, I guess it was sort of compiled common knowledge or something or sort of common platitudes or something from in like the 1500s, I think. Mm. But it, but actually, can we think about that quote for a second? Yeah. I just want to pause to think about that. So, so. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. So, of course, in one sense, that just means having one eye is better than zero. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because it's like, <laughs> like, at least you got one eye. Yeah. Okay. Now, but then in the other way of thinking about it, you, you think, well, blind is, is really a metaphor, right? Mm -hmm. so, so you think, like, the land of the blind isn't the people with no eyes or people who can't see. It's, it's the people who have two eyes but they don't use them mm -hmm. to see sort of properly. They can't sort of see the world as it is. And the one-eyed man is someone who has, um, you know, done, has, has blinded himself to a certain extent to the, the workings of the, the ideological workings of the world in order to see more clearly how things really are, to see sort of through the appearances. And, and that's kind of, the situation we end up with 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 Anderton is that he himself has to he goes from being blind in a sense mm -hmm. right metaphorically being blind he doesn't understand pre-crime he just kind of goes with it he's, he's not, a true believer he's a true believer he doesn't think about it he doesn't ask any questions no questions he's just he's all in yep to and that's why Lamar chooses him right to mm -hmm. lead it up is that he's such a zealot and he's blinded by grief as well that's right yeah um but then he goes from that to being blinded in a more literal sense to having the eyes removed and being in this blind state for 12 hours or whatever um to being able then to see more clearly he sees the pre-crime for what it is he right. sees lamar for the who he is and he sees you know all of the um uh you know he sees perhaps even like you know he, he maybe he's able to even come to terms with his own grief and sort of see the, the you know that maybe it wasn't completely his fault or, or something like that mm -hmm. there's a kind of exorcism of the grief there as well yep. um and so that is the sense in which he comes to see by going blind much like in the proverb or whatever itself yeah yeah and and at one point he when he's has his eyes recovering um after he's had surgery to take them out the doctor tells him you know you can't take out the bandages for 12 hours or you'll go blind um, but he has to open up the bandages before 12 hours because the little spiders we have in the future, they have these little spiders that go and scan your retinas, like everything else in this world, like advertising too. Um, and they're heat seeking and, uh, he ends up getting caught by the spiders and has to lift up one bandage, show one eye so they can scan the new, his new eyeballs that he has that are belong to Mr. Takamoto, right? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> um, so it perhaps, is interesting that his eyes, he, he, they go brown. He wears brown contacts for the rest of the movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think they go brown. I mean, they were like, he got new eyeballs that were brown. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. That's, okay. it's, no, oh. no, 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 that's what I mean. It's like that he wears brown contact lenses. <laughs> yes. Just, yeah. To make it very yeah, clear, very those clear. are not his eyes. And you know that I hate colored contacts in movies, but yeah. I think this works this time. I'll allow it. Um, but, you know, perhaps they don't say it explicitly, but perhaps he did, in fact, go blind in that one eye that he lit, you know, that he exposed to the spider. Um, so he could quite literally be a one-eyed man right that's uh should we get, should we shout out david sims on that one yes yes that was the sims that was the sims yeah. revelation which i hadn't thought about but it's super cool um, 
Um, but in, in addition to that, I mean, I, there's also Lamar Burgess says the eyes of the nation are upon us at one point. Um, and it does seem like this whole movie revolves around, uh, surveillance a paranoid concern about like it goes both the surveillance and the watching goes both ways Mm. um because the the government and the pre-crime crops are watching the citizens um both you know through the precogs seeing their visions but also through all of this um you know surveillance of the you know retinal scans when they go into when you go into the subway and tracking Mm. people's motions and using the spiders um but similarly like the people are watching the government and they have the power to decide one way or the other if this if they're allowed to continue on with free crime um and there is this kind of it, it goes it cuts both ways mm-hmm. i guess that's good i mean i i suppose that it's better that there's this is still a democracy and that the, yeah you know and that like the the public perception of free crime is 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 as important and relevant as it's not just being shoved down the throats of the people because some bureaucrats have decided that this is this is a good thing right um yeah, I, I suppose that's like a potentially a, a small glimmer of hope in an otherwise ble- somewhat bleak movie, right? Yeah. Um, you know, um, so so yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that's good. Okay, yeah. And the other thing I was thinking too about about eyes and about sight and vision is, of course, like this whole thing revolves around the sight of the or the you know the sort of inner eye, the the visions of the of the precogs, and mm-hmm. the inciting incident happens when Agatha grabs John Anderton and says, "Can you see?" And the question of like what they're seeing, as we've already talked about with middle knowledge, like what are they actually seeing right. and whether or not that's something that we can believe, because then we find out too that there's something called the minority report. So most of the time the precogs see the exact same thing, but sometimes they disagree. Uh, and, you know, the mother and father of pre-crime knew that this would cause to me, you know, cause too much doubt in the system. And so they, they devise a system which the, the minority report goes away. But if they're disagreeing, then what? are they actually seeing um and you know it calls into question just the entire you know the entire function of of vision and whether or not you can believe what you see which right. is you know a whole magic of movie making is that you can't really believe what you see oh that's cool i like <laughs> that's a good spin on it i like that right yeah. he's like the master of of creating illusions yeah. that's what he does for a living and the whole movie is about whether or not you can actually trust your eyes trust the vision yeah i like that yeah that's really cool um i think though that um you know some th- 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 i think this movie portrays and i think you you might have mentioned this to me actually when we first watched it but th- this movie portrays the um the the precog situation as a particularly vulnerable um uh uh epistemically vulnerable um judicial system in the mm-hmm. sense that what if they're wrong and you pointed out that, like, well, the judicial system as it is, is full of these kinds of vulnerabilities. Because we rely on witness testimony, eyewitness testimony, and eyewitness testimony is often flawed yes, and wrong. And really what else can we mess. do? I mean, there's not much else to do except to just be like, well, some, you know, we, we have to just, you know, we bring in, we don't have perfect information. And so we have to make decisions based on imperfect information. And sometimes mm-hmm. that will mean putting people away, you know, um, unjustly because we did it you know they were they didn't commit the crime um i guess the stakes are higher in the sense that you're putting them away with no jury (laughs) and and there's no procedure um except for the some three mutant people saw you do it in in some weird sense (laughs) and 
but but yeah it is like you know when they talk about like well like what if they make a mistake and stuff it's like well you know justice systems have that's like a product of a justice system is that like you you have to act on imperfect information and this is how it goes I guess that, yeah, but I guess... The difference is that the government's pretending that it's a completely perfect Oh, system. that's true. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, what Colin Farrell is trying to, trying to sniff trying out. He's trying to sniff out, yeah. Um, that's the whole reason Lamar Burgess is, is you know, going to the going to the lengths of, of killing somebody is to make sure that there are no doubts whatsoever about, right. about the validity of the system, about the strength of the system, and about the fundamental, you know, ickiness of the system. Because the reason he kills that woman is yeah. because we find out that um, you know, she her she's the mother of Agatha and she wanted her daughter back. Yeah. Uh and if people really understood that the precogs are not saints or oracles or, you know, what the, you know, Inhuman, because I think, you know, at one point, John Anderson says, like, it's better if you don't think about them as human. Yeah. As soon as we start to think about them as people yeah. sitting in that milk bath and the whole thing crumbles. Yeah. Then it's then it is um, a system of slavery. And mm -hmm. you see that the whole system is built upon um, a lie and um, a whitewashed lie and slaves at the center. And, you know, in that regard, it is an allegory for the U.S. in general, like the the history of the United States. And um yeah, and I'm, you know, I think that that you know, despite what I said earlier about, yeah, I would love to just sit in a milk bath. I would want to sit in a milk bath against my will. Right, <laughs> looking at murder all day. Looking at murder all day. No, I would want to. Sit <laughs> no matter in... how much dopamine they've got you set uh, hooked up to. Actually, dopamine is powerful stuff. So <laughs> I maybe I would take that choice, but um, I would want to look at other things besides murders. But yeah, um, too, you know, I want to look at some philosophy too, but. And I want to watch Sicario a few times, once a week at oh least. Oh my god! <laughs> you guys, there will definitely be a Sicario podcast. I can't stop it. Um, yeah, but that's a really good point. Yeah, I think um, you know the other thing. Oh, okay. Can I say this point? You you raised this point, but I think it's a really good one. Which Please. is justice is blind. Which is a great. You know, that's another metaphor that's in the system and in you know in everything that's happening. And you get the the poster is Tom Cruise at like the blinded lady justice, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it really is. Um, because the bandage is over one eye, mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, it really is clear that Spielberg has this thing in mind, right? He's playing with these ideas. Now, they're not all fitting together because, of course, right. justice is blind. The, the whole idea is that um, justice isn't supposed to be like, you're not supposed to be prejudged <laughs> in the way that, in fact, the system is prejudging <laughs> you. Um, you're supposed to be given a fair trial, no fair trial of this. Nope. So it is kind of, it is like almost like being deployed, like weaponized against you in a way. Um, and um, but I find it really interesting that he that he does throw in that imagery. Then the other thing that I wanted to mention about this, um, about the 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 issue about blindness is that, you know, I think there's the connection between blindness and ignorance. So so there, there's really it's a dual metaphor here, and I'm not actually sure whether one of these has to be right or if they could somehow both be right so there's the sense in which you go blind in order to see mm -hmm. but then right because like you see the world as it is and anderton sees the precog system as it is but then there's another sense in which you go blind in order to not see which is what i think happens when um i think both anderson sorry anderton and agatha are trying to actually um find peace mm -hmm. right and forget the things that in the case of Anderton for forget or at least get over the death of his son and that guilt that he feels. And for Agatha, it's 
to just stop seeing these murders. She does not want to have this superpower anymore. She just wants to live a normal life. And so for her, going blind is to lose the the foresight and to just become a normal human being and live in this little island in the middle of nowhere where she doesn't have to, like, she's not close enough to anyone to see their future. Mm. And so I think um, that, that I think is, is, you know, it's a dual metaphor and I don't know, you know, which way, which way it ultimately should cut. But, but yeah, I think I it's interesting that. that blinding is, is, is kind of goes with, with losing your knowledge, mm-hmm. losing your foreknowledge in the case of Agatha. Right. Um, For Agatha. She's so sick of the future. She's done with the future. Then the other thought was, um, so Anderton, you know, the, the, the very inciting incident for Anderton, like why he's on pre-crime at all is that he lost his son. And in that scene, there's a couple interesting things. So one is when he goes under the water, he looks up, he can't see his son anymore. Mm-hmm. His son is obscured through the ripples. So he, he, he's, his vision is obscured. And then he comes up and of course his son's gone. And I think that that is that obscuring is, is, is important, that mm-hmm. he lost sight of his son for a moment and then his son was gone forever. And then there's this idea that, well, if he can see the future, he'll never lose sight ever again because right. he, he, sees that, he sees the future. Right. So I think that's driving Anderton in a certain way. And then the other thing is um, these ripples, right? These ripples come back in another way. So there's the ripples in the water as he looks up at, at his son. Then there's the ripples that um, Colin Farrell, uh, Whitward, figures out Anne Lively's death is right. because the wind is blowing one way and the ripples go towards the, the dock. And then in the other murder, the ripples are going away from the dock because it happened in a slightly different time. Right. And right, so right. the ripples are the clue for Whitwer to figure out that, in fact, Anne Lively was really murdered. And so I think it's interesting that, like, you know, ripples and sort of through the vision, you know, the visual system, like going through a kind of obscuring of, of ripples, again, it has that double metaphor and that it can obscure, but it can also enlighten, mm-hmm. right? Because it, it reveals the truth to, to Whitwer. So I thought that yeah. was kind of cool. I love that, too. I love that a good... That's like a good detective novel kind of detail. The ripples going one way, the ripples going the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we find out, I mean, like, uh, you know, he's he's like a good policeman, Colin Farrell. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think it, when he's I... He's probably better than John Anderton. Well, yeah. No, good point. <laughs> he yeah, asked no, some a, questions. It's a good point. Yeah, he's he's actually curious about what's going on. But I, I think what's interesting about this movie is that, you know, if you, if you watch this movie and then you come to it a, a year later or... In our case, I think a couple of years later, um, you know, we don't watch it every year, but we watch it every couple of years. And and you're, we're always like, what happens? Right? <laughs> you're always a little bit confused because it, it it goes quickly. There's a double ending and, you know, the, the 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 setup and everything to get him to Leo Crow is kind of confusing. Yep. And convoluted. I forget it every time. I'm always like, I know Max von Sydow yeah. bad, but That's I the thing. don't remember but <laughs> how now it gets here. I remember every time we watch it now, I'm, I'm always going to remember that that Colin Farrell's good. Because mm-hmm. that's something you don't, the first time you're like, oh, Colin Farrell's bad, right? He wants to take down pre-crime and, and Cruz is the best. Right? He, and, but of course, Colin Farrell, he's actually a good guy mm-hmm. and might even be the better cop in the end. And so, um, you know, I think, and he ends up fighting for, for Anderton in the end too. Um, and that's something I, I always remember now when I watch it, which I think is cool. Yeah. One thing I was thinking about when you were talking about about comparing Agatha and John Anderton about their blindness uh, and ignorance and how that works is that, you know, they're both struggling with, with being in the present, right? Cause John Anderson's fixated oh, on the past. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's obsessed with with the past and what he's been going through. He's stuck in his grief and he's stuck in this obsession with preventing what has already happened. You can't prevent what's already happened, but in his but in his own way through pre-crime, he's sort of trying to prevent what's already happened. He's yep. watching home videos every single night. He is in the past. Agatha is in the future all the time. She can't, you know, she, against her will. And when yep. she's finally free, she asks, when is it or is it now? And then she says, I'm so sick of the future. Um, and... I was thinking about that in terms of control and, mm. and John's need to, to be in control mm. uh, and his sort of obsession, uh, addiction to faith in pre-crime as a way to to try and control what you can't really control. Like you you can't change the past and you can't prevent pain, but that's what he's trying mm. to do. Yeah. And um, and Agatha gets to to live out her her and, you know, her happy ending is that she gets to live in the present. And I think why I wondered when I first when we rewatched this uh, last week, I, I wasn't so fond of the ending. Uh, I felt like it just sort of like felt like I had a little bow on it and there was a there mm. was a voiceover and I was like, ah, oh, Spielberg, you just can't help yourself. <laughs> um and Britain in particular, I wondered why we needed to see him back with his wife with a pregnant belly. Um, but the more I thought about it, I thought that was like it was it was showing that he's he's relinquishing con- con- that kind of control and obsession that he had with the past and he's living in the present. And he's letting in the possibility of some bad things happening in the future but you know overall you're just accepting life Mm -hmm. right like that's such an act of faith to to have to have a child again to start over again after after you've been through so much pain before right and Um, yeah it's just like you know how bad it could be exactly yeah Yeah. you know how bad it can be and you're gonna open yourself to the possibility yeah um because there also could be so much good right well, I actually think I'm glad you brought up the ending because I was I was actually reading a little bit about the the movie and I and and there is this like there's this theory that I think is quite interesting, which is that the ending is a just a dream that he has while in the prison. And the idea is that because we're told that the people who go to the prison just see what they want to see. They just like live out a fantasy, right? That and they're kept sort of happy, but they're in a dream state. And um, what happens at the end of the movie happens so quickly and so improbably that it does suggest that maybe this is just a, a dream of Tom Cruise in the uh, in the prison. In particular, the thing I'm thinking about is that um, Lamar gives himself away to the wife, which is fine. She might have been able to figure that out, but 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 when um, but but the way she gets Tom Cruise out, Anderton out of the prison is she uses the, the old eyeballs that mm-hmm. are just in his box of like discarded office <laughs> stuff with like, hey, you're fired. Take your box out. And he's got the box of goods and he's yeah. got the like, the eyeballs just happen to be in there. Right. And so that's the first improv. Like, why would the eyeballs be in there? And like, how long are they in there? And like, don't eyes just like, wouldn't it be like rotting? So gross. Okay. Two, um, they didn't change the key card system with the he's eyeballs. Already so gotten into the he's already gotten into his old eyes once with his yeah. old eyes. So, like, so, so it's like HR now she, needs to get on it. Yeah, like, like they're like this guy's them. now imprisoned, but like, <laughs> and we know his wife has his eyes, and we're not going to change the the systems. Like, what is going on? Mm-mm. So it does seem like you know, maybe that is some evidence to think this really is just a fantasy, right? And. um and then that makes the movie super bleak, right? Then there, that movie, then the movie has like shades of Brazil, where you get this like 
at the end of Brazil, right? You get this sort of fever dream and then he sort of wakes up and he realizes, no, he actually didn't escape. He's still in the chair, like being tortured or whatever. And, you know, this movie doesn't tell you that, but it, it hints it. Yeah. No, I like that idea, especially because there are two movies that come before this, a Tom Cruise movie and a Spielberg movie that, that play with, uh, with second endings or other alternative readings, which is, um, AI. Mm-hmm. which right that has the coda ending too has the coda ending yep. which which is the happy ending right because the yep. the the if you if you take out the coda he's just sitting underwater right <laughs> for forever yep. and ever and ever and uh in the coda ending he gets he gets his happy ending he gets he gets the, to be with his mommy the, one more the hyper evolved humans they're like super whatever or not humans i get maybe they're just like hyper evolved ai creatures right yes they yeah, like are able so. to figure out what he wants and then they, they just grant give him it to his him. wish yeah. right um, which I can't, I mean, it, I know that ending has been really criticized, but I think he did do it because the, the original perhaps was like, didn't test well with audiences. I mean, it's pretty bleak. I mean, it's still bleak because it's I think he just gets one, way. I think he just gets one night with his, with his mom. mom. I think they like are somehow able to like oh bring God. her back or something oh God, for guys, one. I, we can't, I'm going to start crying if we talk about AI. <laughs> <laughs> we can never okay, do that podcast because right, yeah, yeah. I'm going to cry the entire freaking time. But anyway, he just did a movie right before yeah. Minority Report that has this, that yeah, has this kind the, the of coda. like happy ending coda specifically. That's an illusion. Um, and my and then the the other movie that I was thinking about when we were watching this was was Vanilla Sky, yeah. uh, which is another Tom Cruise running, needing to clear his name. Maybe he murdered somebody. Maybe he didn't. Mm-hmm. Is this all a dream? Question mark movie. Yeah. Which I think I was bringing some of that Vanilla Sky baggage into into this movie. What do you mean by that? Just because I we are already kind of like primed to think about whether or not something. I remember thinking. With the with the bleach bypass, every I mentioned everybody has halos in mm-hmm. the in the movie. And at one point I remember thinking like it sort of it looks similar to the 3D video that he was watching of his wife where she got blurred out on the edges because mm-hmm. you said the quality wasn't very good. And at some point I remember thinking, is this all a dream? Right. I see. It's like, yeah, he's just like watching the video of himself. Right. Yeah. Right. That doesn't make any sense. But but I, but I the fact that I was like primed it's to think that at all, I yeah. think was because because I was. This is right at the Vanilla Sky moment. Yeah, Vanilla Sky is just the year before. I think, I think right? so. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really, yeah. I mean, th- you know, in in that sense, this movie fits of its time mm-hmm. with that kind of like these sort of twist ending movies with uh, with sort of heady pseudo heady material. Kind of um, yeah. Well, uh, pseudo had a material still going with Nolan. Well. I take the pseudo right out of that <laughs> expression. <laughs> take that pseudo right out and slam it, slam it Just down like into the you ground. Take that back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no man, Nolan knows what he's doing. Uh, I once saw this video of Nolan explaining how he conceived of Memento, like how he conceived of the timeline in Memento, mm. so that he how he charted it out in his mind, so that he could like film it and understand it. Man, dude thinks he's really smart. Like he he conceives of it as a as a as a horseshoe. So he draws the whole time frame. He's like, look, here's how it makes sense of it. Draws a horseshoe. And then he says, at each point in the film, there's a line. And he says, what we do is we just are, we just go from this scene on this side of the horseshoe to this scene on this side of the horseshoe. And then we just what we're doing is, and then you can see where they meet in the middle. That's the middle horseshoe, mm-hmm. middle part of the horseshoe. And so 
that's what and one's going forwards and one's going backwards right? right and so he's just like that's how i thought of it and it's like it's really brilliant once you see it that way because then you can see how you're gonna actually map it out how you're gonna have to like map out the script and map out the shots and and edit it and everything yeah um and so yeah he's just like yeah we're just bouncing back and forth on two sides of this horseshoe Anyway, I can't wait for Tenet. That's all I'm saying about this. It, I just can't wait. I think it's going to be like Memento to the max. Oh, man. The great thing about Memento, similarly with, with Minori Apart, is I always forget what happens in Memento. Yeah, man. <laughs> Who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? Right? Yeah, I've no spoilers like here. But... so many times, but I'm always like, I'm just as confused as Guy Pearce so every time. It's such a, it is really a really wonderful movie just because it's so, um, it's so well constructed and also because it the, the the structure is designed exactly to mirror the subjective inner state of the main character, which is, yeah, I just can't. It's very I, neat. It, it's brilliant. I mean, it really is. It's, um, yeah. Anyway. All right. I think that'll do it. I don't want to, I don't want to just keep gushing about Nolan. Um, we should in every podcast. Just, which is just, a quick, just like, a quick love note to Nolan. Yeah. But this movie is by Spielberg. We like him too. Spielberg's good. Yeah, he's done a lot of good movies. Um, so and, and <laughs> our this hot is... take is that we think Spielberg is good. Okay, actually, hold on. Let's let's end on this. So uh, yes, Spielberg. Uh, let's do let's do Spielberg top five. Do you want to just grab your top five? Yeah. What the? Crap? You have your phone. Oh my god! All right. Well, you're gonna have to go. I don't know where my phone is. Hold on. Okay. This is a surprise. All right. I'm gonna pull it up. Spielberg top five, okay? I'll go for no. How about we we gotta go descending order five four three two one. Oh, for Pete's sake, I'm not gonna rank. Hold on, I'm just gonna name five that I like. No, that's fine. But descending order, you okay? We're gonna go. What do you mean by descending order? I'm not. My point is that I'm gonna do five of equal preference. Um, okay. Okay, hold on. Because I'm I don't have the wherewithal to rank in in real time. That's bananas. All right, you ready? I'll go first. Yeah, I'm okay. ready. Number five is Warhorse. Just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Number five is AI artificial intelligence. Okay. Okay. Number four is Minority Report. Okay. Ooh, okay. Got... okay. Okay. I'm intrigued. <laughs> Number three is Jurassic Park. Okay. Number two is Munich. Mu you put Munich at two? Yeah. You crazy. And number one, Schindler's List. Okay. I've seen Munich like once. Munich rules. <laughs> I love that movie so much. That movie is like the ultimate movie movie. It's just, just so many scenes that are just like perfect, like movie scenes. We got to rewatch it. It didn't make that big of an impression on me. That movie freaking rocks. Okay, okay. So that's my, so let me just say it one more time. All right. Five is uh, AI. Four is um, Minority Report. Three is Jurassic Park. Two is um, Munich. One is Schindler's List. That's just off the dome, but I think... Off the you know, dome. Basically, that's what I would say. All right, I'm going to go one through five because my brain doesn't... I'm not sh I'm not sure where I'm going to land yet. I'm just going to riff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think I can go backwards because I might screw it up and not end up with my number one as my number one. You know what okay. I'm saying? Yeah. All right, so number one... Schindler's List. You're going Schindler's too. Yeah, it's it's an amazing movie. I remember thinking it the first time I watched it, being like, "This is an okay Oscar movie," and then the second time I watched it, I was like, "Oh no, it's this is incredible. It's, really good it's so good." Uh, Jurassic Park number two, Minority Report number three. So we're pretty close. Mm -hmm. I'm Munich is not going to be in my top five. I'm sorry. Um, then then I'm not quite sure how my four and five shake out. But if I'm just like getting loose, I would say. 
uh, E.T. and mm-hmm. then Saving Private Ryan. I'm glad you you actually went get some E.T. some love because I was wondering if I I I was kind of hating on E.T. by not putting it in there, but E.T. I really like. You know, I've actually only seen E.T. in full once. Yeah. With you, and it made an incredible impression on it's me. It's a good movie because my parents it were really E.T. Is. haters. Oh. And they were always like, that movie's trash. So we didn't have it in the house. And then once I watched it at Club Med movie night at 8 p.m. and I fell asleep. But I also, I was really freaked out by the two fingers. I basically only got through the first scene. You know, when he like puts his little fingers and like pulls back the grass. And I was just like, two fingers, I'm out. How old were you? (laughs) I was 20. No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember. I was pretty young. Yeah, like six or something like that. Get off my back. We used to go to Club Med when Diana was a baby and like still eating baby food. Okay. So I well, think I was pretty young. I will say a couple things about my list. So caveat, I have not seen Jaws in a long time. Yeah. So so that's a big caveat. That one could sneak up. The other one that I haven't seen in a long time, Catch Me If You Can. I remember liking it. It's unclear to me whether it could really jump into the top five mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, another caveat is... Um, I don't like Close Encounters that much. I don't either. I'm okay on Close Encounters, but I I, I don't like it that much. It's not tops for me. Um, One more caveat is that yeah. I have not seen War Horse. So many caveats. Yeah. Okay. Now, now War Horse you... is, I think, universally disliked as far as Spielberg movies go. But two things count in its favor for me. World War One. Because <laughs> I just, there's not enough World War One movies. Uh-huh. I'm like, I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh-huh. And two, I like movies by animals. You do. And you so, like a good horse. You like a good Stubbs horse. Yeah, I like I like horse paintings. You do. Okay, so so those are just a couple of caveats. Um I haven't yeah. seen the terminal. Haven't seen Post. I feel like there's just been a run of yeah. like Oscar. I haven't seen Ready Player One. Spielberg I don't movies. Expect that, that to overtake. No. So there's a couple of caveats here. But uh, No, we're not completionists. We weren't claiming to be completionists. Yeah. But but we like his work. Yeah. We think he's he's not bad. He's a solid director. Dude <laughs> knows how to make a good movie. All right. So with that, um, I think we should uh wrap it up. And so um and I hope you enjoyed this episode. This Wait, is... can I say one of my favorite parts about the movie? Of course. Um I was just thinking about this the this line has been like bouncing around in my head, but you know, he, he says he wants to keep his eyes when he's getting when he's getting his eyes removed. Uh and the guy's asked asks why. And he says, Because my mother gave them to me. <laughs> And I just Tom Cruise is so charming. Yeah, he can he can say anything, and you're just you're just like that. This sounds so smooth and natural. So smooth. Like he just thought of that right on the fly. I know he's the best. <laughs> Justin's making an ugh face. He's fine because my mother gave them to me. Yeah, that's my favorite part. Uh, my okay, new favorite. Hold on, part. hold on, real quick. Yes. Where is this? This is one of your favorite Tom Cruise performances. Oh, say? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to ask on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't differentiate it from any of the other Tom Cruise performances. So, so, so I just. So rude. I don't know. You so know, much what shade on Tom Cruise. <laughs> we, America doesn't even deserve him as an action hero. He's just maybe our greatest movie star. Yeah. He's a weirdo. <laughs> um, no, he's a weird person. I'm not saying he's a, not a weird person, but I think he may be our greatest action star. Maybe our movie's greatest movie star. Okay. The the chips have been the chips are down. Laura's putting her bet on Cruz. I'm putting my bet on I don't know, but probably not Cruz. <laughs> Maybe Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I don't know. Uh, 
but not Cruz. Um, I don't watch I, San Andreas Fault next. That's gonna uh, be our next that podcast. Movie blows. <laughs> oh my god, what a waste of time! Remember that time we we were like, hey, let's go see a movie. Like, you know, like we wanted to see a movie, and we before yeah. we decided what movie to see. Remember that we were just yeah, like, yeah, that hey, happens to us see a literally every Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, we're like, let's go see a movie. That's like, also why we ended up seeing that crazy X Men movie. Every uh, Memorial Day weekend, we lose our damn mind. Last Stand, right? Mm-hmm. X Men, or yeah, is it and last we pay stand? for no, like a really wait, expensive Age of 3D Apocalypse. Movie. Age of Apocalypse. That movie also was total garbage. <laughs> Which one was worse? Um, I'm asking myself questions now. Uh, San Andreas is worse. I'm gonna say Apocalypse was worse. Okay. I think Apocalypse was just a piece of junk all the way through. <laughs> At least with San Andreas. The Rock was like looking good, maybe. I don't know. He had like had his like he was at his strength on. And there were a couple scenes where they had the slowed down Mama Cass. Right? Mama's in the Papas with the with the uh, the role. You like the slow down Mama's in the Papas? Yeah, earthquake scenes. Actually, that was just in the trailer, but I think that made it better for me. Just that the trailer featured a slowed down song. A slowed down like California Dream. <laughs> As the like waves of the earthquake destroys California. Um, <laughs> shout out to all our friends in California. I hope you hope everything is well. <laughs> we do not we're not like excited about the prospect of a of an earthquake. We're just excited about watching it on screen. Um and um yeah, okay, so with that, uh let's um Let's end. Thank you for listening. You, I'm assuming most of you didn't make it this far, but uh, no. if you did, congratulations. You made it to the end of the podcast. And um, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye.